Amen. I'll ask you please to open God's Word at Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, and we'll commence reading at verse 10. And we'll break into chapter 13 and read down to the end of verse 4 in chapter 13. So Genesis chapter 12, commencing at verse 10 of the chapter. And the word of God says there, And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me but they will see of thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that, when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her, and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen, and he asses, and men servants, and maid servants, and she asses, and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to be my wife, or to be or to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, and his wife, and all that he had. And Abram went up out Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and High, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Amen. And may the Lord speak to us through the reading of his word and be pleased to bless it to each and every heart we'll ask. Amen. I'll ask you please to open your Bibles again at Genesis chapter 12. And before we come to consider some thoughts from this portion of Scripture, we'll seek the Lord's face in prayer, and we'll ask Him for His blessing upon His Word. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do... Pray for thy blessing now upon the preaching of the Word of God. Father, we thank thee for thy Word, for God's revelation to us. Lord, we thank thee that it reveals to us that we are sinners, 
but, but it primarily reveals God's plan of redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank Thee that He is the central theme of Holy Scripture. And Lord, even today in the preaching of the Word, may our hearts and souls be drawn to Him, Lord, Him whom the soul loveth. Father, do bless now. Glorify Thy name. We pray that the name of man would perish and the name of God and His Son would be uplifted and glorified. We do pray this in our Saviour's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. The first part of Genesis chapter 12, that would be from verse 1 down to the end of verse 9. It gives us an account of the Lord calling Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and instructing him to leave with his family for the promised land of Canaan. And of course we read that Abraham obeys God and he embarks on this new life of faith. I'm sure his heart was full of optimism. I'm sure his heart was glad. But as we get down to verse 10 of chapter 12, we see that trouble comes into Abraham's life. In Genesis chapter 12 and 10 we read, And there was a famine in the land. Now Abraham had entered this new covenant relationship with God. He had been promised God's blessing and God's presence throughout his life. And he had been promised a glorious future in a spiritual sense. Yet now you could say that he was brought down to earth with a bang. Because adversity had come. And the thrust of this narrative is not that adversity had come into Abraham's life. For in this world, the servants of God should expect adversity. But the thrust of the narrative is how Abraham reacted to the adversity which had come into his life. In very simple terms, he didn't do what he ought to have done. And we want to consider this in a little more depth today. And therefore, with these thoughts in mind and this portion of scripture in mind, I want you to consider with me this topic of Abraham's fatal reaction to adversity. Abraham's fatal reaction to adversity. See firstly with me that it was characterized by unbelief. Now our text says in verse 10, um, after uh, the famine came into the land, it says, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Now, this is the first time in Holy Scripture that Egypt is mentioned. And there are times in the Bible when God commands and instructs his people to go down into Egypt. For example, in Genesis 46 and 3, the Lord instructs Jacob to go down into Egypt and not to fear going down to Egypt. And perhaps the greatest example is in Matthew 2 and 13, when God tells Mary and Joseph to take our Savior for refuge down into the land of Egypt. But in the main, Egypt in Scripture is representative of the world. It is representative of trouble for the people of God. And it is representative of alliance with the world. The Scripture says in Isaiah 31 and 1, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. Therefore, it is of such significance that God's servant chooses to flee to Egypt during his time of adversity. Now we have to be balanced when we consider Abraham's decision because we must remember that up until this point in Abraham's life, he had displayed what was an incredible faith 
and an admirable trust in the word of God. Abraham received the promise of God that he would have children, yet he was old in age, and thus far his wife was barren. God called him to leave a comfortable life um, and called him to leave his own people to dwell in a land that he had never seen before. And Abraham would have had to share this land with cruel and uh, idolatrous Canaanites who would be a constant source of danger to him. And on his pilgrimage, his small company got smaller as he had to, to endure the death of his father, Terah. Now added to this, Verse 10 says that Abraham went to Egypt to sojourn there, so he had no intention of staying in this land. He thought, I will go down to Egypt for a season, and I will return when the famine eases. He intended to go back to the land of promise in due course. It's not as if he went back to Ur of the Chaldees, back to his idolatry and his former life and his family and his friends. And what does it display? It displays that Abraham still was mindful of the Lord's call. And he was still mindful of the Lord's promise in his life. And he is making this decision with all sincerity. But the fruits of this decision will not be great, as we will see in a little detail, in a little more detail later on. He went down to Egypt nonetheless. And it just shows us that sometimes in life we can make decisions. We can go down a certain path with all sincerity, thinking that we are doing the right thing, when perhaps we are not doing the right thing. Now, why this famine was sent, we don't know. We can only speculate. Perhaps it was judgment for the sin of the Canaanites. Perhaps it was a direct trial of Abraham's faith. Maybe it was a combination of both. But it did manifest itself as a trial of Abraham's faith. And you could say, well, was Abraham not justified in making this decision? He had to look out for the well-being of himself and his family. His needs would be met in Egypt. And this is what was probably going through Abraham's mind. Was he wrong for caring about those he loved? Of course not. But the fatality wasn't the fact that he was concerned with his circumstances. Friends, here is the fatality. It is that Abraham didn't look at the whole picture. He didn't look at the whole picture. He forgot about the God who was the God of his circumstances. He tragically forgot about the Lord in the midst of his trial. He forgot that God was in control of every situation. And there is no record of Abraham seeking the Lord's face for help before he went down into Egypt. If you look at Genesis 12 and 8, this was actually the last time Abraham built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. And then in verse 9 we read that Abraham journeyed south. So he built the altar, he prayed, he sought the Lord's face. And what did he do through time? He went south. He moved away from the place of worship and we don't record him worshipping there and calling upon the name of the Lord again until chapter 13. Abraham got away from the place of worship. He got away from God. And when adversity came, his first response wasn't to call upon the name of the Lord because he was far from the altar. And should we really be surprised then that when adversity came, there was unbelief in Abraham's heart and his faith crumbled. 
because he got away from God. He got away from the place of prayer. He got away from the place of worship. And believer in Christ, this ought to be a warning to each and every one of us. Because when we neglect and when we forsake those regular seasons we spend with God, what will happen? Unbelief will creep in. When we move away from regular seasons of worship, regular seasons in the Word of God, when we neglect the means of grace in the public place of worship, then we will be riddled with unbelief. And what will happen? Our thinking will become distorted. Our hearts will become dull and cold to the things of God and to other people. We will lose our burden for the lost. And more than this, we will falter during times of adversity. This was Abraham's experience. Now many people, when they are going through trials, they will confide in a friend. They will phone their friends or meet with them and tell them that what is going on in their life. And that is good. It is good to have people to talk to. Many people will do uh, hobbies, and that's good. You have to look after your well-being. But friends, when adversity comes, where should we be? We should be in the house of God. We should be in the Word of God. Because these are the things that God has given us in order that we might draw from the wells of His grace. These are the ordinary means of grace. And if we want to have our faith strengthened, if we want to be strong during times of trial, then we must come to Christ. And how do we come to Christ? We come to Christ through the Word and through prayer. Therefore, it shouldn't be a surprise that if we neglect the house of God, if we neglect the Word of God, if we neglect prayer, that we crumble when adversity comes. Because we are like Abraham. We are not at Bethel as often as we should be. Perhaps you're here this morning and you can relate to Abraham's experience. Have you got away from the Lord? Have you got away from those public and private seasons of worship and devotion? Do you feel yourself cold at heart? Would you say that you are not where you were a few years ago? Maybe your circumstances in life at this moment in time have caused you to think that you would be better going to Egypt, that you would be better leaving the church and running back to the world for comfort. What does the Scripture say? The Scripture says in Proverbs 3 and the verses 5 to 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Christians, we are called to trust in the Lord. The answer to your problems today is not Egypt. It is not getting away from the house of God. It is not getting away from the house of prayer. It is not running to the world for refuge. This is never the answer. And it will bring the child of God nothing but trouble. And this leads me to my second point concerning Abraham's fatal reaction to adversity, I want you to see that it was characterized by carnality. If you look at verses 11 to 13 of our text, we can see here that the unbelief in Abraham's heart and the fact that he had forsaken those exercises of religious devotion towards God um, is now being evidenced and manifested and outworked in his life. 
Because just as he and his household were about to enter Egypt, he determines in his heart that when the Egyptians inquire of his wife, he would seek to preserve his own life by telling them that she was his sister. And he was telling his wife and his whole household to partake of this lie also. Now, Scripture does tell us in Genesis chapter 20 and the verses 11 to 12 that Sarah was Abraham's half-sister. But what did he do when he was going into Egypt? He was telling a half-truth. And what is a half-truth? It is a lie. He was about to practice an act of deception. Now, I want you to see the pattern here. Because Abraham's initial sin was unbelief. He lacked faith in God. But now more sin is added to this sin of unbelief. What do we see now? He is now relying wholly upon himself and his own devices to preserve his own life and the life of his family. Now he shouldn't have been down in Egypt in the first place. But when he was going down into Egypt, what should he have done? Very simply, he should have said, Lord, protect me. Protect my family. Protect my household. But he didn't trust in God. Because there was unbelief in his heart. So what did he do? He thought, I'll have to tell these ones lies. And then they'll not kill me. And my household will be safe. And through his lies... Abraham almost causes Pharaoh to sin. We read in verse 15 that Sarah was commended to Pharaoh and that Pharaoh took her into his house. Abraham could even have caused Pharaoh to commit adultery with his wife. And what had happened? His deceit and his cowardice left his wife at the mercy of an idolatrous and a murderous king of Egypt. He has made a mess of his life. And not only of his own life, but he has made a mess of the life of his nearest and dearest. Because there can be no doubt that when Pharaoh discovers all of this, Abraham is a dead man. It would be in Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh's interest just to do away with Abraham, to kill him, perhaps even to kill Sarah, to kill all the members of their household and wipe them off the face of the earth. And what do we see here? We see the consequences of sin, which results from getting away from the Lord. And this is the way sin works. Sin adds to itself. It is like a snowball as it keeps rolling and rolling. It adds layers and layers of snow upon itself before it is too large and it gets out of control. We shouldn't see it as a light thing to get away from God. We shouldn't even see it as a light thing to engage in a little sin. Because if you see it as a light thing to engage in a little sin, then you're simply in the dark as to who you really are and what you are really capable of. Now you think about this. When Abraham was at the altar in Bethel in Genesis 12 and verse 8, when he was calling upon the name of the Lord, when he was in sweet communion with God, he probably never imagined that very soon he would be down in Egypt, relying on the flesh, riddled with unbelief, deceiving the king, compromising his wife's honor, and having a broken household. Yet here he is, a man of great faith, a man of God's own choosing, 
a man described as the friend of God, and he is in the direst of possessions because of his sin. And this is something we need to realize. Sin is too strong for us. This is why we ought never to entertain it in our hearts. This is why we must guard our hearts. This is why we must never flirt from sin, and we must always flee from sin. Because if we don't flee from it, if we choose to even dabble in it a little bit, then before we know it, we will be doing things that we never imagined as Christians we would ever do. And that has been the experience of many a Christian. They have looked at something they shouldn't have looked at. They have said something they shouldn't have said. They have run about with company they shouldn't have been in, thinking, I'm strong. I'll not get away from God. I'm at the prayer meeting every week. I'm at church every week. And before you know it, they're away. And they're doing things that they never imagined and others never imagined they would do. Friends, never be complacent. It happened to Abraham. And it can happen to us as well. We still battle with the flesh. We still battle with hell. We still battle with the devil. And what do they want? They want our demise. They want us away from God. They want us to bring dishonor to the name of God. They want our sin to hinder the work of God. And they want our sin to hinder the advancement of God's kingdom. Ephesians 6 and 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And believer in Christ, the world does promise so much. Abraham left Bethel and he eventually found himself dwelling in Egypt. Now he went to Egypt with the view that Egypt would meet his temporal needs, perhaps even his emotional needs for a season, yet it didn't turn out this way. Yes, he got relief from the famine. He got nourishment for him and all his. But what did he get as a result? He lost his wife. He lost his honor. He ruined his fellowship with God. There was no altar in Egypt to the heathen gods. And there were no new promises from God himself. There was no blessing to be found in Egypt for the servant of God. Egypt gave him a warm welcome. And it promised him so much. And it didn't meet his needs to a degree, but it took more off him than it ever gave him. And this is what the devil can even deceive God's people into thinking. And has deceived God's people into thinking. He has deceived God's people into thinking there's too much trouble in the church. You pray and your prayers are never answered. You go to church every week and you still have problems. Other people are being blessed and you're not being blessed. Nobody in that church bothers with you. You're getting nothing out of the preaching. It's better if you just leave. Was it not easier when you went to this church or that church? Was it not easier when you just watched church online? Was it not easier when you were in the world? This is what the devil tells us. And this is what the devil deceives us into thinking, yet friends, none of this is true. 
And no matter what the world promises and the devil tells us, and no matter what our, even, what our wicked hearts even tell us, sin and the world delivers nothing of the sort. Its pleasure lasts for a season, yes, but it leaves a bitter taste. It ruins our spiritual walk. It breaks our hearts. It depresses our souls. It leads us to despair. It ruins our relationships. It wrecks our homes. And worst of all, it ruins our fellowship with God. That's what it does. And many people think, well, I'll run to the world for a season. I'll get it out of my system. And then I'll come back to God and come back to church. It's harder to get back than it is to get away from God. Because once your heart is cold, and once the devil and sin get a grip of you, it is most difficult. And people have told me that. People have said to me, I thought I'd be better off and happier if I just left the church and went to another church And they went to another church and it was liberal and it was half-hearted and then eventually they stopped going to church. Next thing, they're backslidden for 20 or 30 years. Their homes are ruined, their lives are ruined. And they always say to me, if I could go back in time, I would have done things differently. Never be deceived into thinking that Egypt, never be deceived into thinking that the world is the answer to your problems. The world is no friend to the Christian and no friend to the Christian's God. What does James 4 and 4 say? James 4 and 4 says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. An unsaved person, the reality for the Christian is also the reality for you because sin has created enmity between you and your God. What does that mean? That means that you are an enemy of God. You are a literal enemy of the living God. And what is sin leading you to? It is leading you to eternal destruction in hell. And as I said to the Christian, the world promises so much and it gives seasonal pleasure. But in the end, it will take more from you than it ever gave you. It will take your soul. The scripture says, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world, yet lose his own soul? You need to be saved. And you need to come to Christ. And you need to trust him for the forgiveness of your sins. Abraham's reaction to adversity was fatal because it resulted in carnality. But I want you to see finally with me concerning Abraham's fatal reaction to adversity that it was characterized by divine intervention. Now we move to consider verses 17 to 20 of our text. And what do they summarize? They summarize God's intervention in the life of his servant. Now verse 17 tells us that the Lord visited Pharaoh with plagues. And I want you to take note of the words because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Now that phrase in the original language could, could literally be rendered on the basis of the word of Sarah. So Sarah had evidently, in her vulnerable position, she had sought the help of the Lord. And the Lord duly answered, and he plagued Pharaoh for her sake. She was the innocent party. And what did she do? She failed to do what her husband failed to do. She sought the Lord. She did what Abraham should have done. She was in the background 
of this whole narrative. And what did she do? She said a simple prayer. And the Lord answered. And it just shows that there are people in the background of God's work. They're never on the pulpit. They're never front and center. They're always at the back, barely noticed. But they are praying. And if the Lord answers those prayers, a mighty work can be done. And that's why, brethren and sister in Christ, who is in the background and he doesn't seemingly do much for the Lord, you keep praying because this is what Sarah did. She sought the Lord, and what we see in the verses after is a marvelous intervention of grace and a marvelous deliverance. She sought him, and there is no no record of Abraham seeking the Lord concerning this matter. Now, I would suggest that the intervention of God in this issue is twofold. Because in verses 19 to 20 we read, And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. What was God doing? God was confronting Abraham with his sin. God was putting before Abraham what he had done. And shamefully for God's servant, he receives a rebuke from an idolatrous king. That is the most shameful thing that can happen to a child of God. To be rebuked, essentially, by a heathen. By someone who is not saved. To have your moral character questioned by someone who is lost in their sin and who has no sense of morality. How embarrassing for Abraham. And how embarrassing that would be for a child of God. We have to be mindful of our testimonies and what other people think of us. I'm sure had someone went to Pharaoh in the days after and said, what do you think of Abraham? Well, he would have said Abraham was a liar and a bad piece of work and he had to get rid of him because he caused him nothing but trouble. We have to be mindful of what people say about us lest we get rebuked by those who are not of the household of faith. God confronted Abraham with his sin in a most shameful way. But God was also gracious because God restored Abraham's wife to him and he permitted him to leave Egypt without any harm from the cruel Egyptians. Now really, without an intervention of God and without divine intervention, as I said earlier, Abraham was a dead man. And his wife probably would have been killed as well. And his whole household would have been killed, but by the grace of God, he was spared. God intervened directly in his circumstances. And what does this teach us? This teaches us that God never forgets his people. He never forgets us. Abraham got drifted from God. You could argue that he had forgotten God, but the Lord had not forgotten Abraham, and he had not forgotten Abraham's family. Because when Sarah called, the Lord answered. The Lord intervened. And to use less formal language, the Lord had sorted things out for them. And he put them on the right path again. And Christian, it's the same for you. Have you drifted from God? 
Are you going through trying circumstances? You need to remember the Lord has not forgotten you. Perhaps you feel like God has forgotten you. Perhaps you feel like God has forsaken you. Perhaps Abraham felt that way too. But what does Psalm 139 and the verses 78 say? Whether shall I go from thy spirit? Or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. God is with us. He is with his people. He will never forsake us. And the strongest argument for this is when we consider God's redemptive purpose for mankind. Because in Sarah and Abraham's case, the Lord had a redemptive interest in them. Now in Genesis 12 and 3, we see the promise of God to Abraham that in him or in his seed, all families of the earth would be blessed. Now this is the promise of Jesus Christ who would be a descendant of Abraham. And therefore, from a redemptive point of view, God was never going to forsake his servants. God was always going to preserve them because from them the Messiah would come. And Christian, it's the same for us in our case. God has a redemptive interest in us. He has started a work in us. He has begun a work in us and he will see it through. We have been justified by the blood of Christ. We have been bought with a price. Was Christ's sacrifice in vain? Was Christ's payment for his people in vain? Did Christ pay the ultimate price for sin only for his people to be consumed? God forbid. Friends, you may experience a season of chastisement. A season of walking afar off from God due to your sin. You may feel that God has left you to dwell in your sin or your circumstances. But friends, we must rise above our own thoughts and feelings. God said in Romans 8 and 29, Paul said, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God has has chosen us in Christ to be conformed to the image of his Son. God is not a liar. God will do it, and he will do it in you. And in Genesis 13, in the verses 3 to 4, we read that Abraham went back to Bethel. He went back to the place where he started, and he called upon the name of the Lord. This is where he should have gone in the first place. And perhaps these things never would have happened. But he was restored nonetheless. And when God confronted him with his sin, he went to Bethel. And he called upon the name of the Lord. And dear friend, we have an altar today that we can go to. If we find ourselves far from God, if we find ourselves in the depths of sin, if we find ourselves in the depths of adversity, if we find ourselves unbelieving and enticed by the fancies of Egypt, if we feel our weakness in this battle with sin and with self, we have an altar, and that altar is Jesus Christ. And we can come to him today with all of these needs, and we can cast them at his feet. I said earlier that he purchased our salvation and this entails an abundance of grace whereby we can be sanctified. 
and we can overcome these sins. Friends, he has the answer today. He is the answer for those of us who are saved. He is the answer to those of us who are not saved. If we are saved, we can come to him with our sin and we can plead for forgiveness. We can find cleansing in his blood. We can draw strength from him for the battle against the flesh and the devil and the world. And if you are not saved, you can run to him today for salvation. And dear friends, as God brought Abraham to his senses and drew him back to Bethel and to the altar, may God be pleased to lead each and every one of us by his grace to our altar, Jesus Christ. And may we experience and know that soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word. God answer this prayer and God bless his word to all of our hearts for his glory.